Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. So that brings us to step five, which is confess to those affected uh, for harm done and seek to make amends. Um, Yet, uh, Steve Gallagher, he challenges us where we need to be challenged at this point. He says, making oneself transparent to another person is one of the difficult things that must be done. A man may institute all the other steps outlined in this book into his life. But if he hedges on this one, all other efforts might prove to have been in vain. We will not change in private. A plumb line of this church is that change happens in community. And in this area of sexual sin, it is probably the area where we try to resist and push away from that more than any other area. I've already told you, it's not just a church thing. It's an A-A-N-A-S-A thing. It, it is the nature of this particular struggle. But it is essential. Uh, let me say it this way. Privacy kills change and fuels sin. Transparency kills sin and fuels change. And there's no way around that simple basic truth. Privacy kills change. It's none of your business. And fuels sin. Transparency kills sin and fuels change. Now, one of the questions that we get to, I told you we were coming to this, in the context of a, of a marriage relationship or even accountability relationship, how specific should we be? I'll start here with a quote from Gary and Mona Shriver. He says, I didn't ask her before bringing this sin into our home. Uh, if she was going to live with the consequences of it, then she had the right to determine what she needed to know. If we had any chance of rebuilding this marriage, there was no room for lies or half-truths. Uh, and they, they, this is a couple that leads a lot of group ministries. They say, in our groups, we answer more questions related to talking during adultery recovery than any other subject. We might have thought trust or forgiveness or even sex would come up most often, but in reality, conversation is the bridge that can deliver trust, forgiveness, and sex. So we ask, what, what should I say if I am confessing this to my spouse or even an accountability partner and I don't want my confession to become a point of temptation for them? I think a great case study of that is David and Bathsheba. And you may say, wait a second, are you twisting Scripture here a little bit? Is this really a good use? I honestly believe that it is. In Psalm 51, when David was repenting for his sin with Bathsheba, one of the things that he said in that prayer is, Lord, I will teach sinners your ways. He intended for the way that he responded to this event to be an example for us. If we ask ourselves, how did we get most of the information that we got about David and Bathsheba's sin? It's probably from David. 
I mean, even when the prophet Nathan called him out, he could give a great story about a little sheep and all that kind of thing and say, David, you're the man. He didn't have the story. We got the story from David. In your notebook, we'll go through this in more detail, but I'll give you just some sample of what we're talking about here, what we learn uh, from 2 Samuel uh, chapters 11 and 12. Uh, the kind of things we should confess. Confess the actions that left you vulnerable to sin. Some of this will be your own actions. David should have been off to war with the mighty men at this time, but he stayed behind for some reason. It may be parts of your history that we covered in some of those other sections. Uh, you should confess the steps that you took as you entered into sin. And we know David was on top of the house. He noticed the woman. He didn't just notice. He thought she was really hot. He didn't just think she was really hot. He had some people sin for her. I mean, he acknowledged the steps that he took to get there. You should confess the sin to the full extent to which it reached. Uh, details of the sex and that kind of things are not helpful. Uh, in the true betrayal material, we're going to come back and advise uh, the spouse, uh, the offended spouse, on the kinds of things that they need to ask and not need to ask in terms of the follow-up to this. But you should confess all of the consequences of your sin that occurred. Again, we know that... Um, Bathsheba got pregnant and several other things happened. You should also confess your method of deception, other people involved in the cover-up of your sin, other sins you committed in tandem with sexual sin, the impact the sin had on your overall character. And if you notice in the story of David and Bathsheba, this is the largest part. Most of the rest of those are one or two verses each. This is all the way from verse 6 to 27 of chapter 11. You could, should confess how you were brought to repentance. Even if it was you were found out and busted, that should be admitted as a part of that. You should accept the consequences that emerged after your confession. And one of the things that I think we often miss in the story of David and Bathsheba, you should be willing to walk through the emotional ups and downs of those affected as they learn of your sin, forgive, and work to restore the relationship. When we see David as a man after God's own heart, even as one who failed tragically and did some atrocious things. The tenderness with which he began to respond when he was repentant and began to care for those for whom he had hurt. It, the way that he mourned the loss of his son and comforted his wife in the midst of that. We see one who didn't say, look, I, I know I messed up. Don't quit. Just don't rub it in my face. He was not defensive at all. Now, uh, Doug Rosenau, he says, Confession includes two important aspects. Confession brings secrets into the light so that we drain them of their power. Confession allows God, number two, confession allows God and a caring person to see the ugliness of our sin and still love us. I, that's why I think we have to confess to people who are not just our spouse if we're married. Because when our spouse hears this, they're going to be hurt. And to expect them to immediately respond with affection and coming towards us, it's just unrealistic. We need to, re to confess to same-gendered Christian friends so that we can have people gathered around us and coming to us and doesn't make this seem as if this sin ostracizes us from the community. Now, he makes a very important point for married couples that I would echo strongly. It is usually not healthy to make our wives, I would say, or husbands, our only accountability partners and our primary confessors. 
it is very difficult to wear both of those hats at the same time. Now, in the initial part, we've talked about full disclosure, and that needs to happen with your spouse, and I agree with that. Um, but one of the ways that you can protect and honor your spouse at this time is for you to show the courage to step out into another relationship with whom they trust of someone of the same gender and say, you know what, I have struggled in an area of sin. And my spouse is working to trust me. And I don't want them to feel like that if they don't ask, nobody will, so that they're forced to choose between being a detective or being naive. I want my spouse to know that you will ask me on a regular basis about how I'm doing. So that the only time my spouse feels like that they have to ask me something is when they think it will bring them peace or helps them put their own story back together. And again, that doesn't mean your spouse can't ask you. Hear me say, if your spouse has a question about what has happened, they are free to ask you. You can't say, Brad said you weren't supposed to ask me anything. No, he didn't. It's on video. Now what I said, now some key parts of confession. Admit specifically. Again, we covered that in the full disclosure. This removes the power of secrecy. Because again, what Rosenau said is that confession brings secrets to light, and so we drain them of their power. Admitting specifically removes the power of secrecy. We need to see our sin through their eyes. This removes the power of self-centeredness. Again, everything about sexual sin was all about me. And so it is very difficult as somebody who's been engrossed in a period of time in a highly self-centered sin to begin to see something through the eyes of the other person. But part of confession is asking that question, how does this impact you? How does this affect you? One of the things that I see disrupt couples most at this stage is the offended spouse just says, you don't get it. And there's that sense in which the self-centeredness is breaking down and if we're honest at this stage, we may not get it. And we need to have the humility enough to listen instead of argue at that point. Because arguing only proves how much we don't get it. That's an argument you can't win. Um, you need to embrace the consequences of your sin. This removes the power of the little sin lie. It's not that bad. It's just porn. We were just friends. It, um, look, it... Um, However we would minimize it, admitting specifically removes the power of the little sin lie. And we offer a plan for change and patiently wait for forgiveness. This changes the power of our imagination. Beforehand, everything that we would imagine, that was, it was all about the fantasy. It was about escaping. When we begin to pray for our spouse and patiently wait for, for their forgiveness and see what we can do to be in agent of grace in their life. It transforms our imagination from self-centered to other-minded in a way that it radically needs to be transformed. Now, one of the things that I would say here is it is incredibly important to prepare for confession. Don't go in and roughshod confession and just kind of freelance it. A bad confession can be really damaging. That's why in your notebook, we give you a confession guide. It gives you sections and says, you're going to take this from step one. You're going to take this from the reflection you did in step two. I think you should fill this out. 
Even if it won't fit on this page, you should fill this out. You should go to a trusted friend, that accountability partner, and say, let me read this to you. Let me see if this is something. How do I sound? Do I come across defensive? Do I come across blame shifting? Tell me, the last thing I want to do is to hurt my spouse or somebody else that I've offended in the way that I've confessed to them. Now you ask me, Brad, is that, is that a good idea? Is that biblical? Is that somehow getting around the corners here? I would say that's what the book of Philemon is. An entire book of the Bible was a prepared confession. You had a runaway slave who took lots of stuff when he did. He was going back to make things right. Paul wrote a letter. God thought it was a good enough idea that he inspired it and made sure it made it into the canon of Scripture. Yes, I think preparing to make sure that we confess in a good way is a thoroughly biblical thing to do. Now another thought. Um, Steve Gallagher says, I have heard people tell me many times that they do not have anyone to confess to. What they're really saying is they were not desperate enough to seek out someone that might be able to assist them. Again, we have to choose what we want more, freedom or privacy. The number one factor that determines the long-term success of overcoming in this area is what kind of people that you gather around you. Now you say, who do I confess to? I'm going to give you two groups of people and then somebody not to confess to. If you are married, confess to your spouse. We've already talked about that. I would also say you should confess to close friends, probably in several different areas. Uh, someone in your small group. Small groups are beautifully designed for what needs to happen. A point where we regularly get to know people. They get to know us. We are known and allow ourselves to be known. There is a set-aside time where we're going to ask each other how we're doing. We're going to ask accountability questions. There is no better place that these conversations should be happening than in our small groups. You should confess to your best friend. Whatever you share with your best friend will shape your character about as much as anything else in the horizontal dimension. When you make something a priority with your best friend, it will have a profound impact on your life. What we're going to talk about later is too often when we get caught in this kind of things, we don't have friends because we have isolated ourselves. And part of what we need to do is cultivate the kind of friendships. Again, I think small groups is where that would begin, where we would have a best friend to have this kind of influence over us. And then finally, confess to someone in each area of your life where this sin has festered. Everywhere where darkness has been present, we want to take the, the community of believers and say, I'm planting a lamppost here. If I struggled in my workplace, somebody in my workplace I should talk to. If I struggled at the gym because that's where I worked out, somebody at the gym should hold me accountable. Wherever I struggled, wherever sin festered, let me plant a light post. And that will be costly. But it will not be nearly as costly as continuing to drink the salt water and die a more rapid and painful death. Physically, spiritually, and relationally. Sometimes we only look at the cost and we don't look at the cost of not. And it's at moments like this that we have to look at the scale both ways. Who you don't confess to? Your, account of, your adultery partner. Uh, if 
If there is any sense of attraction, the worst person that you could tell is the person that you are attracted to. If you read any literature about how emotional affairs and adultery get started, it is usually when two people who are attracted to one another admit that they are attracted to one another and try to say they're not going to do anything about it. The integrity of that creates this fire that is just almost insatiable. Once you have truly repented and you are confessing and changing, the only way that you can show genuine confession and repentance is by having nothing else to do with someone who has led you into this area of sin. Now again, I would caveat here in terms of a dating relationship for somebody who is not married. I think we can do these other things and we should confess to someone with whom we are dating at a stage like this. But that level of accountability that we bring in at that point should probably be much stronger. Um, yet one other thought on step five. Building real relationships of love with real people is crucial to the transformation of your imagination. You have spent way too much time in your private fantasy world. A world of honest, constructive relationships await. Uh, the Bible is full of stories about sexual sin. They are told in ways that leave us uh, without illusion, but never arousing or morbid. I want you to hear the first part of that quote. It is crucial to build real relationships. In his book, Great Divorce, which is not a book on marriage, by the way, uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, he gives this picture of hell. And he says, hell is a place where we get everything we want, but it has no substance. And so if we want to beautiful our house, we wiggle our nose like I dream of genie, and boom, there's a house. The only problem is it doesn't keep the cold wind out, and it doesn't keep the rain from hitting our head. If we want an incredibly delicious turkey sandwich, we just kind of, bling, and there it is. And we bite into it, and it has flavor, but it doesn't satisfy our hunger. The only thing that is solid, that will give nourishment to our soul in the way that we're longing for, are real, honest, transparent, vulnerable relationships built on the gospel and the grace of God, where we recognize that we are all people in need of change, helping people in need of change, rallying together. And that is what confession does. Confession is the part where we begin to enter into those kinds of relationships. And so it's more than saying, I'm sorry, I offended you, will you forgive me? It is that. But we confess even to people who are strategic in our life to be a part of our life because what we want is not just to make bad things neutral. But through confession, we begin to step into what God had for us all along and that Satan was offering us a cheap saltwater counterfeit. 